Hi, I'm Leslie Manukian, president of Health Freedom Defense Fund and host of Conversations on Health Freedom, a podcast about our most sacred human right. Today on Conversations of Health Freedom, my guest is Doug Cameron. Doug is a fellow Idahoan and one of the COVID shot wounded. Prior to his injury, he managed a farm and did the work he loved and had done all of his life. He was working toward owning and operating his own farm. Today, he's wheelchair bound, but still has a smile on his face and a can-do spirit I've rarely encountered in life. Doug is a family friend and it is my honor and pleasure to have him on the show today. His story will bring tears to your eyes, but it will also inspire you as he has more, as he has that rare human quality of staying optimistic despite what life has served him. Welcome to the show, Doug. Thank you. Good to see you, Leslie. It's nice to see you too. So I just want to um, say that, you know, you've known my, my parents for, I don't know how many years, 30 years? Yeah, right up there. Right a long in there. time. Yep. And I'd actually never met you because, you know, I was an adult and was living abroad and all this. But what happened was I was giving a talk at the Idaho State Capitol in January of 2021, I think it was. And you came to my talk, right? Right, right. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, I wonder if that's Dave's daughter. <laughs> you know. So did you come because you thought that I was his daughter or did you just come because you heard that someone was speaking? Well, I heard both. I, I, I'd i say both. I okay. was, uh, I wanted to hear what you were speaking about. And I was uh, pretty, oh, <laughs> it was pretty close to my heart, what you guys were talking about. And everybody was... Well, I shouldn't say everybody. There wasn't that many people speaking out and needed to be more people. And so I thought more people go. And it was at this at the state house. And uh Carla and I had previously tried to talk to a lot of these representatives that we have in the state. And just like your meeting in the state house, I feel bad for the fact that you're trying to do right for the state and not your personal self. And there weren't that many representatives of the state there. And I have witnessed that in a lot of places that I go. It's, uh, Everybody should be paying attention to this, and not everybody is. And there's a lot of people that are injured, various shots. There were several shots in Idaho. There was three, I guess. And I have personally witnessed the uh, adverse reactions from four shots, the AstraZeneca shot. Also, uh, one that wasn't used in the United States, but but was tested in the United States. So uh, there were there were a lot of a lot of things happened yeah. that uh, were not being talked about. Yeah. 
So basically what happened, everybody, is I'm giving this presentation talking all about the lawsuit Jacobson versus Massachusetts and what it really means. It doesn't mean that the government can plunge a needle into your arm um, and and giving this kind of talk on on health freedom. And Doug is sitting at the back of the room in a wheelchair. And afterwards, um, or near the end of it, somebody said, you know, there's a man here who wants to speak with you. And um, I went down and talked to him and it was Doug. And um, Doug was sitting in a wheelchair where he had not been for very long. So um, what I'd really like to do to start really, um, Doug, is to have you share your story. Tell us what happened, what shot you got, things like that. Did you okay. want to the shot? Yeah. I. Uh... And tell us what, what was your life leading up? Like, what were you doing? What was happening in your life? And then what happened to actually make you get the shot? Okay. They, uh, I was a farm manager at TLK Farms just outside of Mountain Home, Idaho. And uh, it's a large farm, 10,000 acre farm, and they have a dairy. And they milk 10,000 cows twice a day. It's, it's a large operation. And a good operation. And uh, I was very proud to work there. Very proud to work there. And uh, I haven't had that many jobs in my life as I stayed working. The job I had prior to this, I was on a ranch for 25 years. And they sold the ranch. That's how I got to TLK. And working there, it was, for me, it was a dream job. How long did you I, work there, Doug? Uh, 15 years total is what I worked there. And it, it was a dream job for somebody like me with no college experience or anything. I moved right up the ladder and uh, was doing great. I mean, I had what everybody like me in a younger age dream of having that job. Uh, so I worked, I didn't handle money. We we dealt with a lot of uh, high dollar equipment and stuff and decisions and high dollar decisions. And it, it was it was a lot of fun. I I enjoyed the job. So as things went on, my employer developed bone cancer. And with the bone cancer comes uh, a lot of issues that I'm, I'm not familiar with. But one issue was they didn't want anybody to be sick around them. About that time, the pandemic rolls around and there were a lot of people on the farm getting shots, and I was not one of them. I didn't really want the shot. And then one day, I believe, I believe it was like about the first of March. I I would go to the office and pick up paychecks for the guys on the farm, and they said to me, "Doug, we got a a paper here." We want you to take around and whoever wants the COVID vaccine, 
would uh, sign the paper. And I said, okay. Uh, I said, well, I didn't really want it. And they said, well, it'd be really good if your name was first on the list. And I go, well, okay. This was the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And it just come out, apparently. And uh, so I put my, I said, okay, I'll put my name on the list. And I went around and I took the paper and I, to all the guys, and I have about, mm, at that time, probably 45 or 50 guys to go around and hand checks out to. Uh, as I believe the H2 guys hadn't arrived yet. So there were there were quite a few people. So I went and asked the guys. So you worked with about 45 people is what you're saying, just to be clear. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And uh in the farm and the trucking and we had uh, they it's a big operation, you know. Uh I think I don't know how many total employees they have, but over a hundred, you know, well over a hundred at the farm and the dairy. So uh, I took the paper and I went to everybody that I hand checks to. And I says, now oh, they're wanting you to get the COVID vaccine or if you want it. And they'd say, well, what do you think? I'd say, I don't if you want it, that's your business. I don't care. You don't want it. I don't want to hear nothing about it. And they would tell me. They told me all kinds of things. So at the end of the day, I take the paper back to the office. And I usually give them my signed paper that they receive their checks. You know, they'd have to sign their name. And... Uh, I, I hand the paper to Sherry, uh, the gal there at the office, and uh, she says, this is it. And I think there were only like five or six people. I go, well, that's it. And I'm going to tell you, if you want to go talk to them, you go talk to them. I said, I have listened to all of it. And I says, I'm not telling anybody what they should do. So this was the first sign up and then they were going to wait like two weeks so they could get everybody arranged, you know, for the, for the shop. So I turn in the names and then comes the two weeks. It's about, uh, it was on the 5th of April that they decided they were going to have the shots. And I went in. This is 2021. 2021. Yep. 5th of April, 2021. I believe it was on a Monday. And the farm guys were supposed to show up somewhere around 8 o'clock. Now, I'm hired by the month. So I don't know if everybody understands by the month. But the way I was raised and the way I've worked my entire life, 
when you're hired by the month, there is no start time, finish time. You start when you have to start. You start when the work's there. And we had a regular starting somewhere around 7 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the winter. Uh, and I would, the guys that I had, like truck drivers, they were 8 to 5, 7 to 7, depending on the time of year. And, but people like me were 24 hours a day on call. If they had a problem, they called you and it was up to you, you know, take care of things. So my hours, I got most of my work done after everybody left. Then I could focus on things that I needed to do, such welding or whatever I had to do. So when I left the house, I was in the company pickup and I was on the job, on the phone, going to work, paying attention where I needed to go, where I needed to get people moving to. Uh, and I just drove around the dairy. I made my rounds and checked in at the shop, farm shop. And then I went to get my shop at the office at the dairy. And I went in there and uh, got my Johnson & Johnson shot. I don't know what, I have the card that tells what uh, the, <laughs> I keep it as trophy anymore is, uh, but <laughs> it was, Johnson, they give you a card, and I didn't know they were going to give you a card, but they give you a card, kind of like proof that you got a shot. And uh, I had mine somewhere. But anyhow, I'll look for it as we go here. It's, they, it doesn't uh, matter. Don't worry, Doug. Yeah, they. it was the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that I got. So... I didn't have any problem right then. Sad I waited the 15 minutes, hopped out, and back to work I was. I was right back at work. And uh, I was very physical. My my job was physical type job. And uh, you'd be crawling under trucks or doing all kinds of things. Uh, it was pretty physical. So... Nothing much happened the first day, but the second day, the, that night, I guess, I uh, I wet my pants and I had my grandkids were with me. And I remember getting out of the pickup and think, what, what did I do? You know, what happened? And I thought, man, so... Of course, I didn't want grandkids to see or anything like that. So I go back to the house and I changed and I never said anything. You know, I thought, hmm. I I honestly just never crossed my mind what. Uh, so the next day, things started changing a little bit. And I started getting pains in my hips. And... Uh, 
No, it really wasn't pain. It was uh, discomfort. I I can't say it was pain because it was just hard to get comfortable. It's just a feeling wasn't pain though. Mm -hmm. I could not get comfortable. I couldn't stand where I was comfortable. I couldn't sit. I couldn't lay down where I was comfortable. And it was all in my hips. And it it felt okay to walk. That wasn't so bad. So I told this guy I was working with, Tom Harmon, he was the shop foreman. I went in and I says, hey, Tom, I says, uh, <laughs> you know, that damn paper they gave me listed all the side effects. And I says, uh, I could write a whole new list for them. I said, I don't, I don't have anything that they had there. They had diarrhea and vomiting and, you know, upset stomach. And I says, I, I don't have any of that. I have, I says, I got ED. I lost bladder control and it hurts to sit. What it actually felt like was the, when I was a kid, the seat belts went around your waist you know, they didn't come across your shoulder. They were just like waist. And you used to yank on them, you know, as little kids. I can remember yanking on them. And if you got them too tight, it kind of hurt your hips. Well, that's, that is exactly the feeling that mm. I got all the time. It was all the time. So, so, so Doug, at what point? So you get it on a Monday morning. Monday, no big dish issue, except that that night you wet your pants. And then Tuesday, right. you start having issues. What day was it that you started to think this is might be connected to the shot? Well, actually, it was the next day, Tuesday or Wednesday. I, I said, man, things just aren't feeling right. Uh -huh. you know? and, you, and you connected it already at that point to the shot. You thought, right. Because you because were a was, you were a happy, healthy, active, fit man, strong man, and now and it was the only thing that that I had changed. I'm on yeah. no medications for uh, high blood pressure or uh, anything. You know, uh -huh. the only medication, if you want to call a medication, that I would take is once in a while I take uh, ibuprofen. And if I was lifting a lot of tires or something, I knew, you know, boy, tonight your muscles are going to be sore. I'd take ibuprofen before I go to bed and then I'd wake up. I'd be okay. Yeah. But that's uh, not, that's not being on a medication. You didn't have a doctor no, prescribed medication of any kind. I was on nothing. <laughs> never had been. And I always, I took kind of great pride in the fact that I didn't have high blood pressure or diabetes or anything that my coworkers had problems, you know, with these things. And I'm thinking, you know, they say, oh, stress. I was under plenty of stress. You know, it's one thing to work for yourself because the only guy you got to answer to is the guy in the mirror. You answer to yourself. Mm 
-hmm. But when you work in a job like I had, you have to, you got to do what's right for you, but also you're trying to please somebody else. You're trying to think to please them mm -hmm. uh, in whatever job you're doing. Uh, so <laughs> I, I was pretty happy with the fact when I'd go get my blood pressure checked, you know, whenever I would, if I ever got close to anybody, I'd say, hey, check my blood pressure. So uh -huh. you're good for yeah. your age and everything and the yeah. job you do is great. So, so the point is you're perfectly fit until Monday morning when you get this shot and now all hell yep. breaks loose. So tell us and what it, happens. So you start feeling this, this discomfort, you can't get comfortable. You feel like you're kind of strapped in. It sounds like across your hips. And then what, tell us how it continues to unfold. So I go, it gets worse as I'm going and I'm, I'm starting to panic a little bit. And uh, so I told my wife, I said, well, <laughs> because I work all the time, I says, I'll wait till Sunday to go to the doctor. So I waited till Sunday, you know, I didn't take time off and I just wasn't one of those kind of guys, you know. Uh, so I go into the emergency room on Sunday and I tell the gal, in there i said i got problems and she says well what kind of problems so i tell her i got uh ed i got uh i wet my pants and i have this cinching sensation in my hips and of course they say well does it hurt no don't hurt it it just I can't get comfortable, and I really believe that they they can't understand that I'm not in pain. You know, I'm I'm not in physical pain. Mm -hmm. I just come there telling them, look, some something ain't right. That's so what be, I'm telling. So between Tuesday and Sunday, did it get worse or did it stay fairly the same? It it progressively was getting worse to where I was starting to worry. You know, okay. Like so you something. go in, you're telling the ER what's going on, and what do they say? And they say, well, we need to send you to Boise. And before we go, we're going to test you for COVID. So they tested me for COVID, and I'm positive. So they come back, and they say, you're positive for COVID. And I go, well, hell yeah, I just got the shot, you know? So this is how I'm thinking. And they go, oh no. And I go, well, I didn't have any problems before I got the shot. I had no problems. So, uh, so I go and they say, well, we're gonna send you to Boise for an MRI. So, they put me in an ambulance and they send me to Boise from out home. I go to Boise and I get to Boise and I lay there on this bed for, well, I went in at noon to mountain home and I didn't get home from Boise till 10 o'clock. Wow. So, and all they did to me was MRI. 
So it took a long time to get the MRI in Boise. And when at that period, people were so paranoid of COVID, I guess, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid of anything still, but they stick you in the corner and leave you there all day. They never, no water, no food, no nothing. And uh, they did the MRI and they said, well, we don't see anything. You go home and if it gets worse, you call us. Oh so, my gosh. So I said to him, this is, this is what really got me on the deal. I said, uh, how do I get home? And they go, what do you mean, how do you get home? And I says, how do, how do I get home? You brought me up here in an ambulance, you know. Well, call somebody. Who? You know, what am So anyhow, I got a ride home. And the ride home, I didn't tell them that I tested for for COVID. And uh, and they never got COVID, you know, the person. And we're just riding in the pickup, just no mask, no nothing, yeah. you know. And and I never and I I felt a bit guilty about that, but I didn't know if I was going to get a ride if I told them I had COVID. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, because people were so panicked because they were being lied to. But right. I'm sure you know by now that the tests, I mean, you didn't have any symptoms of COVID. And None. absent symptoms, a positive PCR is meaningless. That's I didn't so, have a cough, a cold, yeah. a fever. It, I was just like today, just yeah. like today. Yeah. So I go home. And I tell my wife, well, they didn't do nothing. Of course, she was worried. And uh, <laughs> so I called the boss and told him, I called Tony Ketterling, who's uh, kind of my go-to guy to call, and let him know. And I said, hey, they say I have COVID. And uh, they told me that it it would be okay for me to go to work because I don't necessarily need to be around people. You know, I could stay in my pickup and I could be a safe distance away to talk to people. And they told me, they said, no, you better not come in. I said, okay. All right. So, so I was working on my own place and Things were getting worse. I wasn't feeling any better. I wasn't I wasn't sick, but I wasn't, you know, things weren't my muscles weren't working like they used to. That's that's where the problem was. It was more of my mobility, you know, was mm -hmm. uh so on Tuesday night, I believe, Tuesday night, I was getting ready to lay out my sprinkler pipes and that's what I did most of the day and laying out my sprinkler pipes getting ready for the water to be turned on the 15th of April you know so I uh, 
come in the house Tuesday night, I believe Tuesday night, the 14th. And I said to my wife, I said, I feel like I just drank poison. I said, I, I don't know what it is, you know. Uh, there's just no other way to describe it. I, I just felt awful. I, I don't know any other way. I think and, that's what uh, Elon Musk says. He, he felt like, after the shot too, that he felt like he drank poison. I think, I could be wrong, but he said he yeah. felt like he was going to die. Well, that's, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, it was something. And so I Tuesday says, night, you're feeling awful. Oh my gosh. And you're talking. Yeah. To so I tell Carla, I says, I'm going to, I'm going to eat, have a shower, go to bed. I'll feel better in the morning. You know, that's, uh, so I go to bed at 10 o'clock and Carla says, things aren't quite the way I remember from 10 o'clock to two o'clock. I think that I just go to bed and uh, go to sleep. But Carla says I was up and down all night and I don't remember being up and down all night. And she told me that I, at one point, I was telling her that my feet were, felt funny. But I, I don't remember that. Uh, and I went to bed and I woke up <laughs> and I know it may seem hard to believe, but every day that I wake up now is a flashback to that. The morning of the 15th, I wake up and I cannot move from about my diaphragm down. I, I can't move. And I snore. So I don't, Carla and I don't sleep in the same room. So I hollered, hey, Carla, come on now. <laughs> you Help know. me. And she comes running. And she goes, what, what's the matter? And I says, I can't move. And she grabs a hold of my leg and she screams and she runs and gets the phone and calls the ambulance. She said my leg was just stone cold, just cold. And I go, I don't know. So she told me they called the ambulance. And I said, well, if the ambulance come, God dang, I need to get dressed. Help me get dressed so I'm presentable to the ambulance people. <laughs> so, and by God, they showed up like five minutes. They, they were right there. And again, I'm in no pain. I'm as healthy as right now talking to you. No cold, sniffling, nothing. They took all my vitals. And I happened to know the gal who was on the ambulance was uh, Bobby Jean Collier. And uh, nice gal. Had about the same age as my brother's daughter my niece and they'd gone to school together that's how i knew her 
anyhow, she took all my vitals and everything. And we're talking, going to the hospital, you know, and I'm telling her, I said, it's a goddamn shot. I said, I got that shot. Now look. And uh, all the time, Leslie, I'm thinking to myself, heck, I'll go to the doctor. Give me a pill or something. I'll be, you know, up running around. I mean, uh, I never, never, never crossed my mind how devastating it was really going to be, you know. I thought this just like, I'd never been in an ambulance before, you know. So <laughs> uh, this, I was getting a real ride here. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I, I, all the time I'm thinking, as we're going along, they're doing this stuff. I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to be, hell, I'm going to be all right. You know, don't worry about anything. Don't panic. And as soon as I get to Mount Home, they put me in another ambulance and they ship me to Boise. And then things start getting a little blurry. Then. Uh, so much is going through my mind. I'm 64 years old, you know, and uh, just so much. It's it just starting to, yeah. Carla's worried. Well, because of COVID, they wouldn't let me see Carla, you know, and they're doing stuff to me that I didn't know, you know, you don't have an advocate. You're you're there by yourself. You can't really speak for yourself. So apparently when I was in the hospital, they put me in the bed. And I think it was the next morning they tried to give me some water. And I mean, things were getting worse by the by the day. So at apparently. this point, at this point, Doug, I just want everybody to understand because you look so well and so healthy, but they can't see your wheelchair. At this point, you've been transferred to Boise again a second time, and you're paralyzed from about your diaphragm down. Is that right? Right. And it's getting right. worse. It's still getting yep. worse. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I know. It's it's hard to imagine. I mean. I'm I'm in a wheelchair, all right, and uh, I, uh, yeah, I've been down the road. <laughs> yeah, but so they, Doug, so tell us. You said it's getting worse. So tell us what's happening there that day in in Boise. It, it's getting worse, and these guys are running around. They don't have any idea what is really wrong. They they don't know what's wrong. And uh, this gal tries to give me a drink of water. And she took the straw out of the water. So when, when, you're, when you're paralyzed, <laughs> I didn't know this, but and it, it would be hard for somebody who's not paralyzed from diaphragm down. You cannot cough. 
You you have no way to cough. You got to learn. Well, what you think in your mind is you're going to cough. It don't happen because you're paralyzed, and you you don't realize that when you cough, if if you cough, you hold your stomach and cough, and you'll feel the muscles. And that's how you cough. You cough from the bottom coming up is how you cough. Well, I don't have any of that. Well, she gives me a drink. And then I'm like, (laughs) well, it went down the wrong tube there. And I'm trying to cough, but I can't cough. And so they innovate. So now I can't talk either. I can't talk. I can't do nothing. And that now things are really going south on me. So then I'm going to ICU, you know. And even now, there's no runny nose. There's no lung infection. There's no nothing. And we had to get the ambulance record to prove that, you know, when they picked me up, I was healthy, no fever, no coughing, no nothing. And and we have them. And they put me in ICU. And then it was a couple days before Carla could actually see me. But she could see me. By then, it's hard to believe that things were happening to me. And uh, apparently... I don't mean to jump back and forth, but uh, apparently what I had was I had a blood clot in my leg. And with this Johnson and Johnson deal, there were a lot of blood clots, I guess. Well, I had a lot of blood clots going on. And apparently blood clot went up my spinal cord and hemorrhaged. That's why I was paralyzed. That's what happened to me. And from there, you know, there was nothing getting repaired. And this, the blood clots and everything were still going on. I truly thank God that that I'm paralyzed and not dead. You know what I mean? Because Everything, everything I know about blood clots, you know, they they go to your brain and then you're you're nothing, you know. It's it's bad. So so I personally thank God that that I that it stopped there, but it didn't really stop there because at one point I was paralyzed from the neck down. And I laid in the hospital bed and could not raise my arms at all. It was it was awful. I couldn't speak. I had a whiteboard to write on to tell my wife, you know, I love her, what what to do. We had things going on. I had my own cattle and uh, I was the one taking care of the cows. I wrote on the whiteboard and told Carla to gather the cows and sell them. You know, that was a pretty 
pretty devastating thing for me. Uh, the things that were going on in my head were hard, hard to imagine, you know. When, when you're walking around and you're talking to people and you're, you know, laughing around, joking and stuff, sometimes you say things and then, then you notice that when you get in a position that this is real, really happened. And now it's time, you know, it's no no fooling around. This is real. We got to do this. You work your whole life for some things, and then you're you're trying to balance what's precious to you and what's really precious to you. You know, uh, and when you work hard and try to do right. Uh, you know, little things that may not seem like much to some people are true treasures to other people. You know, uh, my boss had 10,000 cows. I had 40. Well, I was just proud of my 40 as he was of his 10,000. Not by one I owed a difference, you know. They they meant that much to me. And uh the struggle that we had had to get there was it it was tough, but we did it, you know, and so you, everything that you were proud of is going down down the tube just because I have you to did ask you, I just have to ask you has your boss ever communicated with you or talked to you or nothing well they fired me you know <laughs> so 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 let's talk about that so how long were you in the hospital how long did it take to progress to the point where you were is that called a quadriplegic when you can't use your when you're from the neck down right so tell us yep. what happened with that. And oh my gosh, I cannot believe your boss. It, they take, it he got, takes no. It got really bad in the ICU. I was in ICU for two weeks. And I went from being, uh, I was right around 200 pounds, 200 and some odd. And I was as strong as anybody. You know, I wasn't, uh, I was very healthy. 64 year old very healthy not not kind of uh and leslie i know you're your old man uh he didn't look his age either i i know what <laughs> and i know you can understand but i used to do 20 push-ups every night and 10 one-arm push-ups every single night and the reason in my mind to stay physically fit is I worked with a lot of young kids. I worked with 20 year olds and 30 year olds and I didn't want them calling me the old man and not being able to stand up and toe the mark right with them, 
And if you ever talk to anybody who did work with me, they'll they'll tell you Doug pulled his weight and then some. And I would I worked with some really good people. They they were good people who worked with me. And uh they I I would carry my weight. But they in ICU, I got Leslie to where I couldn't raise my arms and I couldn't, I had a whiteboard. And if you know, they give you those little pins on the whiteboard and you got to take the cap off. I was not strong enough to take the cap off. Now, the drugs and stuff they were giving me were awful. I was going through a world I'd never been in before, ever been in before. And it, it it's a tough, tough world. And they uh they were uh, it was it was a bad, bad thing that I was going through. And I uh one night I was I was there and I didn't know if it was day or night, you know, it was, it was awful. So one night I ring the bell for this guy and I think it kind of made him mad, you know, that I was ringing the bell. I don't know what time it was. So I get him to come into my room and I said, uh, I didn't say it. I got a tap like I want to write. And he goes, you want your whiteboard? And I, yeah, here you go. Here's the whiteboard. And then he gives me the pen. But I'd, I'd, I don't have the strength to take the cap off. So... So in that time, in that period, things are going through your mind, and I'm I'm seeing things, you know, that that you shouldn't be seeing. Uh, I got the goddamn the you know the guy that carries the sickle, the you know the devil guy. That what do they call that guy? You, you know who I'm talking about. The Grim Reaper. There you go, that guy. He's standing in the corner, you know, in in my, this hallucination or whatever in the hell I'm going through. Yeah. He's standing in the corner and he's comes over to me all the time, you know, kind of breezes over and he goes, if you touch me, it'll all be over. And I'm, I'm like turning and screaming, oh, you know, I don't want to touch you. So this guy throws the whiteboard down and I can't get the pen. So I got to call him again, you know, and he comes into the room and he's, he ain't very happy. And I thought, okay, so I get the whiteboard. And, and this, you can't speak is, because you're intubated? Is that what's happening? Yeah, I got a tube 
down my okay. throat. Yeah. Okay. And, I just want to make sure everyone. Yeah. Kind of grunt maybe a little bit. I don't uh -huh. even know if I did that. So he hands me and I tell him, I call him back again. And I said, I can't get the panel. And I'm trying to bite it. And you got this tube down, so you can't really, you know, I've tried everything. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, he leaves. And I write on the whiteboard. I don't, I don't know what I was going to write. I don't know, but I wrote on it. I want to die is what I wrote. I wrote, I, and I couldn't write, you know, like today I can write, but if you can imagine, I, I wrote it. I want to die. And then I ring the bell again. I'm pushing this button and I hold it up like this. Because I know this guy ain't going to want to come in the door. He's going to want to look through the glass and see that I'm alive, I guess. And I hold this up. Well, then he opens the door and he goes, you want to die? And I go, yeah, you know, I was just so tired of all this, tired of seeing what my wife's going through. Cows are gone. You know, I'm thinking this world would be a better place without me, you know. So, uh, and, and I'm thinking that my family would be better off without me. Instead of me costing them money, I would, you know, got insurance. Maybe I'd be worth more dead than alive. This is what's going through my mind. So he says to me, he goes, you want to die? Yep. And, and I was good with it. You know, I'm okay. I'm peace with the world, God and everything. You know, I'm okay. So he says to me, do you have a DNR? And I go, yeah, I got a DNR. I'm not you. And he goes, okay. He says, take that thing off. You know, take your tube out and you'll die. I go, okay. You know, so <laughs> again, luckily, thank God. Thank God. And I do thank God often. They, they put the thing on down your throat and then they you got like a head deal on you know and they strap well I couldn't I couldn't Enough. get it I'm trying to pull I'm trying to pull leaning this way I'm leaning this way and then finally I'm I'm tired. I just tired and and I'm not dead <laughs> so and then what happens? I don't know. If you don't believe in God, I'm here to tell you, you better believe in something. <laughs> because 
this gal shows up. Her name was Sarah. Uh, where does she come from? I don't know. But her name was Sarah, and she's a real person. <laughs> and, and my wife, my wife met her, so she's a real person. She came in, and I could see things were going on. You know, people were, man, they started moving right after. She came in, and she sat, I'm laying in bed, and I'm not flat, flat. Uh, they got me propped up a little bit. And she comes, sits right next to me. And I got, I don't know, you know, them them deals that hold the medicine, those carts that hold the medicine and the IVs. I got two of them, and they're full with all kinds of stuff. And she sits next to me in between those things. And she whispers in my ear. She said, Doug, you don't want to die. Do you? I don't know. She whispered it in my ear. And she goes, I'm not going to let you die. So I get that whiteboard. And I can, and I'm erasing, trying to erase it off there. And I get it erased. So, but after that, after that day, Things just started for me, start getting okay. You know, I kind of, I guess, hit bottom. And now there's only one way, and that's up. Doug, and, how uh, far, how long had you been in the ICU at this point? I believe probably I was there 14 days, so I imagine 10 days I was there. And uh, I had gotten rid of my cows. I had written a note to Carla to have this friend of mine gather them up and sell them. And uh, I uh, had a guy, a friend of mine was an auctioneer and he sold them. And uh, they went to Twin, I believe. That was the first sale and I told Carla we were going to need the money anyhow and little did I know <laughs> I didn't have a clue I mean honestly Leslie I had no idea how much money this was going to suck out of me the insurance everything just never and all I again all I can do is we had worked hard our whole life and we'd saved a little and you know we thought we were doing really good everything and uh and it sucked that up so fast <laughs> it's unbelievable but but we were we're still okay we were okay carla was still working getting paid and my employer was still paying me you know uh i was home by the month you know yeah. So, so, Doug, let me just, first of all, I have to say something. I cannot believe the lack of compassion in that guy who was attending you at the hospital in the ICU. And I know this is, I mean, I think that our medical system has been showed 
for how heartless it truly is in the last three and a half years. <clears throat> and what you experienced just illustrates that so perfectly. It's actually terrifying. I mean, here you are gone from being totally healthy to being paralyzed from the neck down. And that's all the compassion and kindness he can muster for you. I mean, it's just, it's appalling. It just breaks my heart. But I well, want to, we've been talking for a while and I want to, get to where we where you are today and how you got out of the hospital how you went from neck you know per, um quadriplegic to paraplegic and how things are for you today and i also want to hear like did the has the cdc or fda or j and j ever reached out to you have you no, had any contact no. have you ever you know has your case been filed with cdc with theirs um just just tell us some of these things like well first of all how did you go from being a, pair, a quadriplegic back to where you are now? Well, my neck was swelled up. The back of my neck where my spinal cord was swelled up. And Carla said, put, have them put ice on. So they put ice. And that was another thing. That was kind of hard to get. Ice was like uh, quite a commodity, I guess. I needed a lot of ice. I was, and I didn't get it. You know, I'd get it once in a while. They'd bring it, and I'd say, put it here and there. And it's it's hard to, uh, you know, you don't want to be a pain in the butt. You, you know, I, that's my thinking. I think, well, you know, put some stuff behind my neck and as soon as they start putting ice on my neck things started getting swelling started going down and, and things but I have had uh, I don't know <laughs> the, the list of things that have happened that I've had done to me was uh, was unbelievable but from from the time this Sarah, who is compassionate and quite quite a gal, it just my whole world just turned around then for some reason. And like I say, she did meet Carla, and uh, she told Carla, she says, part of our job is never to take anybody home with us, you know, to leave work at work. And don't take, because I'm sure they see some pretty bad stuff, you know. Oh. But she said, I took Doug home with me. And I'm glad she did. So, but here's here's kind of a list of things that, uh, that I've had. Uh, I have had. MRIs, CAT scans, EKGs, X-rays, spinal angiograms, spinal taps, autoimmune blood tests, muscle biopsies, and who knows what else, all to, to prove that it was my body and not the J&J &J shot. And everything came back negative, you know. So at any uh, point, has anybody admitted to you that this was due to the shot? Well, the the doctors in 
in the hospital told me, yeah, I think it was the shot, but they wouldn't put it in writing. You know, I went to uh, Salt Lake and the infectious disease guy, he came by and he says, it was the shot. And what he said to me was, he wanted to do a paper on this. So Carla and I were quite excited, you know, that maybe something's going to come out of this because all the time that I was in all these, I was in three facilities. I was in St. Al's, St. Luke's, and the University of Utah for 105 days total in rehab and everything. Salt Lake, they did a lot of stuff to me down there because a lot of stuff went on. And uh, they, I was at the Craig Nielsen Rehab Center and that's kind of like a university school hospital, I guess. But they have 11 MRI machines there. A lot. That's a lot. So anyhow, I mean, if you want an MRI, they say, hey, we'll get you ready. It ain't like up here going to wait three or four hours, or five hours. They're going to, the guy's coming to haul you off because they got 11 of them. So they, uh, that guy came in. Then the next time I saw that guy, he didn't know what I was talking about. I, I can't imagine what happened. Somebody got to him. And you think, this, this, Wait, this is the guy who told you he thought it was the shot. And then the yeah. next time he saw him, he pretended he had never said it. And that, yeah, it yeah. And just unbelievable. So I asked him one of my questions to the doctors was do you didn't you take a hippocratic oath you know okay well leslie when i was a kid i trusted the doctor we trusted doctors and you trust the police you go to the cops with whatever you go to the doctor he's going to take care of you. it's it's not that way now it's these doctors now it's my belief that they're, they are working for a company just like I was working for a company. And Leslie, I got a deal here. I don't know if you can see that or not, but it's the, it's the code of the West. It's a code of ethics that I live by. And one of these is, and I truly believe, believe it, number seven is, Number seven is ride for the brand. And that's, I've been doing that my whole life, riding for the brand. When I worked for ranches and stuff, my whole life, I rode for the brand. And uh, even when I was working at TLK, I ride for the brand. And I believe these doctors are riding for the brand. And when you ride, you. go ahead, go I ahead. believe they're riding for the bread. And if they work for St. Luke's, whatever St. Luke says, they put the blinders on and they go straight forward. And I can, I can tell you right now, when I was riding for the brand, 
those cattle that I was in charge of, they were mine and nothing got in the way of me getting to my cattle. Mm -hmm. If somebody else had them, I was going to go get them. Yeah. I rode for the brand. Yeah. Doug, the problem is that when you and I were young, doctors worked for themselves. And today- right. Medical students are told that there is no life in private practice. And what that means is more than 90% of new, um, you know, of med students who graduate and become physicians join a hospital system. They are working for the man, not for themselves. They are working right. for the machine. And it was very clear. I mean, listen, my father-in-law, he was, we were told he had COVID when he was having kidney problems. Um, and they put him in St. Luke's in Twin Falls. And they told us for the first two days that there were no beds, but they couldn't keep him in the St. Luke's in the Sun Valley Ketchum area. So they finally moved him down there. Well, we went to go and visit him and they told us there were no beds. They couldn't move him there. They couldn't find any beds in Twin, in Boise or Meridian. There were no beds in any of their hospitals. Well, we get down there and you know what? More than half of the beds were empty. Mm -hmm. They had fired a lot of staff and they had a staff shortage. They did not have a bed shortage, but they let everybody believe the governor, the state health department, everybody, they let everybody believe that there was a bed shortage in this state when that was not in fact the truth. And I can tell right. you that because I saw it with my own eyes. I couldn't, I couldn't. These are not it. honest people. These people are not doing what's best. They refused the medical treatment that we wanted for my father-in-law, refused to give him um, IV nutrients, refused to give him all sorts of things. And then they tried to shut us off when we demanded that he be given these things because they were on orders from the CDC that if you follow CDC's protocols, you have no liability. But if you deviate from those protocols, then you can be sued. So they right. literally treated us um, like pariah, once we started asserting any kind of demands about how we wanted him treated. And ultimately he died. And I think he died because of, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to go too, deep, too deeply into it. Let's just say that I don't have any faith in right. the hospital systems. Well, that's, uh, and I don't think there's anything unique about Idaho. Let's be really clear. This happened all over the country and right. in other States. It happened way worse than it happened in Idaho. They, uh, I couldn't, I could look, and I did look into these doctor's eyes. I looked at them, and the one doctor, he stood right there, and you could see the pain in his eyes, riding for the brand. He was riding for the brand, instead of saying, you know what, this is the wrong brand to be riding for, you know, and there's that, too. You know, uh, you can ride for the brand and you can be riding for the wrong brand. 100%. And, I was when know, I was on Wall Street. <laughs> right. It's, it's, uh, uh, and, you know, some of those doctors could be really good people, but they're, they're, they're going to have to answer to somebody bigger than me someday. Yeah. And, I wouldn't want to be the one they got to answer to, you know? So, so Doug, listen, we've been going for quite a while. Um, I want to ask you a couple more questions, if I may, before we close. First of all, yeah. at what point did your boss fire you? After literally pressuring you to get a shot you didn't want, they then fire you. What happened? And it, I went, 
I went to, uh, I come out of rehab in Salt Lake and the first place I went to was work. And I saw the boss's son, Carla and I, Carla was driving me around and I said, Hey, Tony, I'm back. And, and I says, I'll want to check in. And I said, surely you guys aren't going to kick me to the dogs, you know, you know, kick me to the curb, feed me to the dogs. And he goes, Oh no, we wouldn't do that. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay. So I said, well, where's your dad? You know, Oh, he's around. Well, it took a while to find him. And Terry wanted to know. He said, well, can you walk? I said, well, no, not yet, but you know, I'm getting there. And on from the day I went in to the day I got out, I had nothing in my mind other than going back to work. I was going back to work. And I'm going to tell you, Leslie, and I tell anybody, losing my legs was devastating. Losing my job was worse to me. It was harder on me than being paralyzed. I mean, I was, yeah, even today, I can't believe it, you know, that I'd been there 15 years and then, and I'd given everything. I didn't take a vacation. I didn't, in 15 years, I went one time. It's an outrageous. When my son got married. That was it. It's a for it's a, a couple of days. Yeah, it's a horrific slap in the face, Doug. It's it's yeah. unbelievable, especially and, from a man who actually pushed you to get the shot. Yeah, and this, and I did it for them, writing for the brand. I did it for them with no malice. And today, <laughs> I'm working. I work every day. I work at J.K. Armorman in Hammett and the first ones that gave me a job was Lowe's in Boise and they by giving me the opportunity to work in Lowe's was the best thing therapy that I had had since I'd gotten paralyzed they gave me a job they were good people they treated me good and I loved being around the people and helping people and all the the customers were great to me and uh but i knew i couldn't drive to boise from hammett it was 60 some odd miles one way and i couldn't do it and i wasn't going to drive when the roads were bad so if i was limited you know and then one day i drive by uh where I work now and I seen some cars there. So I went banged on the door and I, they opened the door and they say, how can we help you? And uh, I said, well, you could give me a job and come on in. We'll talk to you. So that I went in and I talked to them and, and the next day they showed up in my house. They said, yeah, we want you to work for us. And I've been there a little over, I think it was a year and, the funny thing was, Leslie, is when you think about how things in the world go around, they hired me a year to the day that I was fired. 
you know, is that weird or what? Yes, but it is weird. Anyhow, it, uh, uh, a year, so it was in August. It was a year in August that I'd worked for them. And yeah. They've been good people to me. Did it ever cross your mind that this could be a reaction to a vaccination? And did anybody ever tell you when they were giving this shot to you that you could have this kind of a catastrophic result? Never, never. They never said anything. And we never knew anything about it. Uh, my thought was to get the Johnson and Johnson because I only got to get one shot. That was my thinking, you know, and I had had shots my whole life. And uh, I thought, well, I just get it and go on. You know, they give me a shot. And honestly, I thought I was healthy enough, strong enough. And, but I guess I wasn't wise enough, you know. And I, I feel bad for my wife. We did have plans. Everybody has plans. And we'd worked hard for what we had. And uh, I didn't lose everything. I still got her. <laughs> She's still hanging in there. And uh, we we got a nice little house and everything, and and uh, we're doing okay, you know. I'm, are you thinking there, about there are, any, many, are you thinking about legal action, Doug? Well, we are trying to work on some stuff for workman's comp, and see. It was my thought I was working, you know. When I got the shot, I got the shot at work, and. They say, oh, I don't think so. So we're having to, it's been a couple of years that we've been working and they're dragging their feet. But uh, Workman's Comp, I was under the assumption that they were a no-fault insurance. And apparently it's, uh, they're not into paying, but you know what my medical bills are. It's just like the National Childhood Vaccine um the National Vaccine Compensation Program, Injury Compensation Program, and the Countermeasures uh, Injury Compensation Program, they're set up. They're supposed to be no fault, but they are not easy. And most people right. who apply don't get a penny. This and is they, it's, it's a way to money. protect. It's a way to protect the vaccine industry. Basically, it's it's outrageous. It's appalling. Right. It makes me quite right. um, upset. It's um, we are doing. Carla and I, um, I'm in a uh, deal with a NIH right now, a study for the vaccine injured and what's going on. And they went the first, I think I've been in it damn near a year. And the first uh, six months, all they were concerned was, am I going to commit suicide? And I thought, those, you missed that boat. You know, and uh, so, and I get a little irritated with them asking about that all the time because I'm living. I want to live and I'm living and I'm trying to, I'm working. I don't want to be on the dole. You know, I'm not looking for handouts. I don't want to be on the dole. I'm working. I'm 67 now and I've been working every day that I was able to work and somebody give me a job. I was, I've been working and uh, I, 
I need the money just as bad as anybody else needs money. Yeah. I want to work. And, and it's good for my mental therapy. You know, everybody needs it, whether they think they do or not. Everybody needs mental therapy. And so if I'm not physically doing something and I'm visiting with somebody, that's mental therapy and maybe if nothing else, I'm therapy for them, you know? <laughs> I think that um, our society has devolved to a place where it no longer appreciates um, and applauds hard work. When my son was young, he's 29 now, I would make him go out and shovel snow or do something that was, you know, required him to exert himself. And afterwards, I would say to him, I and mean, this is when he's eight years old or 10 years old, how do you feel now, honey? And he would say, I feel good. And I'm like, why? He's like, because I accomplished something. And right. this is the thing, all of these welfare programs, um, of course, if you're in a very difficult situation, then it's very nice to have some kind of a safety net. But people who begin to rely on them, they actually are destroying their own sense of self-worth. And it's really destructive. And right. we underrate, we undervalue the importance of doing something positive, constructive, whether it's physical or mental, it doesn't matter, but doing something, a job well done is something that we've achieved and something to be proud of. And it gives you a sense, a positive sense of self-worth. And so, I mean, listen, Doug, you are just like a <laughs> shining light on the hill. I mean, what a beacon of light you are to me and to so many others. You know, what you did that you drove 60 miles to Lowe's after being paralyzed, all the things that you've endured and you still have a smile on your face it's really incredible oh, yeah. we're just well i want to go ahead i i am thankful to be alive and when when things like this happens what what happens it doesn't just happen to me it happened to my wife my kids uh grandkids friends uh it it devastates your whole circle of, it devastates it some people can handle it and some people can't and uh yeah but but i do i want to work i want to go out i i got there's a lot of me that can help a lot of people you know and i want to work and do it you can so. just help by what you're doing by talking to me now and sharing your story um doug i want to close with asking you is there anybody that you would like to say something to? If you could say something to your boss, what would you say to him? If there's anybody in the federal government or anybody who was involved with the COVID response or the shots, is there anything you'd say to any of them? You know, what, what would you like to say? Well, I would one to my boss, I'd really like to understand as innovative as we were and TLK is, why they wouldn't have even given me a chance, a good, fair chance. That always will bug me. Two, uh, the governor of Idaho, you know, I'm I'm one of the injured warriors. I, I would really like to understand why, uh, because physically I can do there's a lot more that I'm, I'm learning every day. I mean, uh, one of the greatest obstacles that I have right now is to get off the floor into my chair, but I'm working on it. And I go to the gym 
and I do pull-ups and it won't be long before I strap my wheelchair and be doing pull-ups like some of them, you know, 30-year-old guys can do them. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm not sitting at home, you know, I want to encourage people and uh, I want to help people and uh, be one that uh, people help me all my life in one way or another. A lot of people help me and uh, I'm I'm thankful for that. You know, I, yeah. I want to help people. Another person I'd like to say something to was Brad Little. He stood right there and said, we need to get a shot to protect everybody. Okay, I got the shot and I was one of your warriors who got injured and there was no help for me at you know I lost everything I didn't just give I lost a lot and today I'm still paying taxes and one thing that really gets me about Brad Little looks I hate to pick on him too bad but our governor I just want to be clear that everybody knows yes. Brad Little is the governor of Idaho right the governor of Idaho, I asked him for help. You know, is there something they could help me with? And no, nope, don't hear a word back from him, nothing. But then I get a deal in the mail that he wants my help financially, you know, to uh, because we got to stay, you know, I want to be governor still. So send me your money. And I think, are you kidding me? I wonder if he knows that I'm on his mailing list. You know, he's on my list, but it ain't my mailing list. So, uh, but anyhow, there there's a lot of things that that the state or the government could have helped me with. I'm in a motorized wheelchair that I was given to from Lyndon Lori Osborne, who I rode with gathering cows in Fairfield in the 80s and they they heard about what happened to me and they came to the house and they said Doug you're going to need some help and they brought this electric wheelchair I couldn't afford it I couldn't afford it and they gave it to me you know and uh I try to help people when I can. Carla and I try to help. And the president is the other one, old Biden, but I'm afraid he wouldn't, you know, he don't know what's going on, you know, I think. So, uh, unfortunately, that's, but, you know, the governor gave away all the COVID money. And I don't see a lot of it being used properly. And there were a lot of COVID injured that he might have been able to help with a little bit, you know, just help them. And I'm not looking for a handout. And I don't believe you should give people handouts, but you should give them a hand. Give them a hand, not a handout. And uh, keep their dignity. Just give them a hand. And uh, I don't. I don't need anything right now. We're doing okay. You know, Carl and I do all right. And uh, the day may come, but it hasn't come yet. And I do have some friends, you know, they take care of me pretty good too. So, 
if I need potatoes or anything, I know where to go. I had a guy stop me on the road. Leslie, this what a great story. This guy lived around the corner from me, and his name is Kent Johns. And we were walking. I don't walk. Carla walks, and we go where we used to walk all the time. And uh, he stopped, and he says, I've been wanting to visit with you. And he said, "How how's your freezer? And I said, oh, it's good. You know, I I butcher, you know, cow, uh, steer. And he said, well, I just butchered four, and I could fill up your freezer for you. And I go, oh, I'm, I'm good, you know. But if I need meat, I know where to go, uh -huh. you know. And people are just that way with me, you know. I don't. Uh, I'm okay. Oh, we. I try to look forward. You know, things are coming up, and I know things are coming up, and we budget for them and everything. So we're we're okay. We're doing all right. So we're doing good. And I I would if you know anybody, Leslie, that I could help or anything i would be glad to anybody i could talk to who might have an issue like i might have i'd be glad to talk to them and, and try to help them there's there's a lot of good people in this world and a lot of i like to watch the sunrise every day so yeah and it's great to see you though too so it's great to see you too doug and i all i want to say is Thank you so much for being an inspiration to me and I'm sure to all of our listeners and viewers. Um, how you are um, facing this is really an example to all of us and just breaks my heart what happened to you, but it um, fills my heart to see how you are handling it and what an example you are for the rest of us. So thank you so very much for joining me today on Conversations on Health Freedom. I'm really, really grateful. Thank you. You take care. You too, Doug. I will. Thanks so much for listening to Conversations on Health Freedom. Please follow us at healthfreedomdefense.org, where you can become a member, subscribe to our newsletter, donate to our cause, and follow us on social media. Music.